are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seed of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is December 25th, so Merry Christmas. It is also day number 359, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 19, Paragraphs 732 to 739. Chapter 9. The glorious and happy transition of the Most Holy Mary, how the apostles and disciples arrived previously in Jerusalem and were present at her death. 7.32. And now, according to the decree of the divine will, the day was approaching in which the true and living Ark of the Covenant was to be placed in the temple of the celestial Jerusalem with a greater glory and a higher jubilee than its prophetic figure was installed by Solomon in the sanctuary beneath the wings of the cherubim. Three days before the most happy transition of the great lady, the apostles and disciples were gathered in Jerusalem and in the cenacle. The first one to arrive was St. Peter, who was transported from Rome by the hands of an angel. At that place, the angel appeared to him and told him that passing away of the Most Blessed Mary was imminent, and that the Lord commanded him to go to Jerusalem in order to be present at that event. Thereupon, the angel took him up and brought him from Italy to the Cenacle. Thither, the queen of the world had retired, somewhat weakened in body by the force of her divine love, for since she was so near to her end, she was subjected more completely to love's effects. 7.33 The great lady came to the entrance of her oratory in order to receive the vicar of Christ our Savior. Kneeling at his feet, she asked his blessing and said, I give thanks and praise to the Almighty that he has brought me to the Holy Father for assisting me in the hour of my death. Then came St. Paul, to whom the queen showed the same reverence with similar tokens of her pleasure at seeing him. The apostles saluted her as the mother of God, as their queen, and as mistress of all creation, but with a sorrow equal to their reverence, because they knew that they had come to witness her passing away. After these apostles came, the others and the disciples still living. Three days after, they were all assembled in the cenacle. The Heavenly Mother received them all with profound humility, reverence, and love, asking each one to bless her. All of them complied and saluted her with admirable reverence. 
by orders of the lady given to St. John, and with the assistance of St. James the Less, they were all hospitably entertained and accommodated. 734. Some of the apostles who had been transported by the angels and informed by them of the purpose of their coming were seized with tenderest grief and shed abundant tears at the thought of losing their only protection and consolation. Others were as yet ignorant of their approaching loss, especially the disciples who had not been positively informed by the angels, but were moved by interior inspirations and a sweet and forcible intimation of God's will to come to Jerusalem. They immediately conferred with St. Peter, desirous of knowing the occasion of their meeting, for all of them were convinced that if there had been no special occasion, the Lord would not have urged them so strongly to come. The Apostle St. Peter, as the head of the church, called them all together in order to tell them of the cause of their coming and spoke to the assembly. My dearest children and brethren, the Lord has called and brought us to Jerusalem from remote regions, not without a cause most urgent and sorrowful to us. The Most High wishes now to raise up to the throne of eternal glory his most blessed mother, our mistress, our consolation and protection. His divine decree is that we all be present at her most happy and glorious transition. When our Master and Redeemer ascended to the right hand of his Father, although he left us orphaned of his most delightful presence, we still retained his most blessed mother. As our light now leaves us, what shall we do? What help or hope have we to encourage us on our pilgrimage? I find none except the hope that we all shall follow her in due time. 7.35 St. Peter could speak no farther, because uncontrollable tears and sighs interrupted him. Neither could the rest of the apostles answer for a long time, during which, amid copious and tenderest tears, they gave vent to the groans of their inmost heart. After some time, the vicar of Christ recovered himself and added, My children, let us seek the presence of our mother and lady. Let us spend the time left of her life in her company and ask her to bless us. They all betook themselves to the oratory of the great queen and found her kneeling upon a couch on which she was wont to recline for a short rest. They saw her full of beauty and celestial light, surrounded by the thousand angels of her guard. 736. The natural condition and appearance of her sacred and virginal body were the same as her 33rd year. For, as I have already stated, from that age onward it experienced no change. It was not affected by the passing years, showing no signs of age, no wrinkles in her face or body, nor giving signs of weakening or fading, as in other children of Adam who gradually fall away and drop from the natural perfection of early man or womanhood. This unchangeableness was the privilege of the Most Blessed Mary alone, as well as because it consorted with the stability of her pure soul, as because it was the natural consequence of her immunity from the sin of Adam, the effects of which in this regard touch neither her sacred body nor her purest soul. The apostles and disciples and some of the other faithful occupied her chamber, all of them preserving the utmost order in her presence. St. Peter and St. John placed themselves at the head of the couch. The great lady looked upon them all with her accustomed modesty and reverence and spoke to them as follows. My dearest children, give permission to your servant to speak in your presence and to disclose my humble desires. St. Peter answered that all listened with attention and would obey her in all things and he begged her to seat herself upon the couch while speaking to them. 
It seemed to St. Peter that she was exhausted from kneeling so long and that she had taken the position in order to pray to the Lord, that in speaking to them it was proper she should be seated as their queen. 737. But she, who was the teacher of humility and obedience unto death, practiced both these virtues in that hour. She answered that she would obey in asking of them their blessing and besought them to afford her this consolation. With the permission of St. Peter, she left the couch and kneeling before the apostle said to him, My Lord, I beseech thee as the universal pastor and head of the Holy Church to give me thy blessing in thy own hand and in its name. Pardon me, thy handmaid, for the smallness of the service I have rendered in my life. Grant that John dispose of my vestments, the two tunics, giving them to the two poor maidens, who have always obliged me by their charity. She then prostrated herself and kissed the feet of St. Peter as the vicar of Christ. By her abundant tears, eliciting not less the admiration from the tears of the apostle and of all the bystanders, from St. Peter she went to St. John, and kneeling likewise at his feet said, Pardon, my son and my master, my not having fulfilled toward thee the duties of a mother as I ought, and as the Lord had commanded me, when from the cross he appointed thee as my son, and me as thy mother. I humbly and from my heart thank thee for the kindness which thou hast shown me as a son. Give me thy benediction for entering into the vision and company of him who created me. 7.38 The sweetest mother proceeded in her leave-taking, speaking to each of the apostles in particular and to some of the disciples, and then to all of the assembly together, for there were a great number. She rose to her feet and addressed them all, saying, Dearest children, my masters, always have I kept you in my soul and written in my heart. I have loved you with the tender love and charity which was given to me by my divine Son, whom I have seen in you, his chosen friends. In obedience to his holy and eternal will, I now go to the eternal mansions, where I promise you, as a mother, I will look upon you by clearest light of the divinity, the vision of which my soul hopes and desires in security. I commend unto you, my mother, the church, the exaltation of the name of the Most High, the spread of the evangelical law, the honor and veneration for the words of my divine Son, the memory of his passion and death, the practice of his doctrine. My children love the church and love one another with that bond of charity which your master has always inculcated upon you. To thee, Peter, holy pontiff, I commend my son John and all the rest. 7.39 The words of the most blessed Mary, like arrows of divine fire, penetrated the hearts of all the apostles and hearers. And as she ceased speaking, all of them were dissolved in streams of tears and seized with irreparable sorrow cast themselves upon the ground with sighs and groans sufficient to move to compassion the very earth. All of them wept, and with them wept also the sweetest Mary, who could not resist this bitter and well-founded sorrow of her children. After some time she spoke to them again and asked them to pray with her, and for her in silence, which they did. During this quietness the incarnate word descended from heaven on a throne of ineffable glory. Accompanied by all the saints and innumerable angels, and the house of the cenacle was filled with glory. The most blessed Mary adored the Lord and kissed his feet. Prostrate before him, she made the last and most profound act of faith and humility in her mortal life. On this occasion, the most pure creature, the queen of the heavens, shrank within herself and lowered herself to the earth more profoundly than all men together ever have or ever will humiliate themselves for all their sins. Her divine Son gave her his blessing, and in the presence of the courtiers of heaven spoke to her these words, My dearest mother, whom I have chosen for my dwelling place, 
The hour is come in which thou art to pass from the life of this death and of the world into the glory of my Father and mine, where thou shalt possess the throne prepared for thee at my right hand and enjoy it through all eternity. And since by my power and as my mother I have caused thee to enter the world free and exempt from sin, therefore also death shall have no right or permission to touch thee at thy exit from this world. If thou wishest not to pass through it, come with me now to partake of my glory which thou hast merited. This concludes our reading today for day number 359. We have been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 19, paragraphs 740 to 746. Our reading today brings us to the point where Mary is going to transition from this world. And we heard the account so far from Maria of Agreda, the return of the apostles, the descent of Jesus who speaks to her. We hear Mary addressing the apostles. It's all quite beautiful. There are wonderful accounts of this that you can watch or that you could read. For example, when Our Lady addresses the apostles and thanks them, it's very similar to the movie Full of Grace, this film depicting the last years of Mary's life. And there is a soliloquy that Our Lady gives to the apostles in that film, so beautifully written by the writer of the film, so marvelously directed and acted by the actress who portrays Our Lady. There are other accounts of the what we would call Dormition of Our Lady that come to us from the Eastern Church. They detail very similarly that the apostles came and they were there and present at that hour in which she passes from this life. And just think about what our Lord tells Our Lady. If thou wishes not to pass through it, through death, come with me now to partake of my glory which thou hast merited. So Mary is going to have a choice. There is this great division over the assumption of Our Lady, partly because when it was defined as a dogma, it didn't say if she died or not. And so there emerge these different positions, the Dormitionist, the Assumptionist, or the Immortalist. The idea that maybe Mary was just taken body and soul into heaven right away, or that she is in a transitory sleep, or that she undergoes death. Tomorrow, in our reading, we will learn which one Mary chose. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.